what is the saddest day on your calendar? It's probably intensely personal, isn't it? It's the loss of someone that you have an incredible connection with. Nations have sad days. Nations have days that are on their calendar that remind them of intense personal loss. And it tends to be generational. How about the day that will live in infamy? It's coming up, December 7th. Or if you're a 60s person, do you remember where you were when JFK was shot? Or Martin Luther King? If you were a young person in the 80s, how about when the Challenger exploded? And for many of us, I'm sure you knew where you were on September 11, 2001. Each one of us have those dates, depending on our generation, seared into our memory. This week we've had many sad things come across the news. We've had fires, we've had shootings, we've had tragedies of galore, but, but they're not quite those national tragedies. But the thing that happens in the Western mind is that time moves on. We start to forget. You see, that's the difference between a national tragedy and a personal tragedy. Personal tragedies, they are just as fresh 10, 15, 20 years down the road as they are on the day it happened. But nationally, we, we start to move on. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a child of the 60s, but I was only a few days old when JFK was shot. So I don't resonate with that. But 2001, oh yeah. The Challenger, you bet. There are students sitting here today that even 9-11 is ancient history. You see, that's the Western mindset. To understand today's past passage and to fully grasp it, you can't be a Westerner. You have to be a Middle Easterner. For in a Middle Easterner's mindset, the past is always present. The past is always as if it happened today. Have you ever wondered why, when the psalmist writes stuff like, uh, I am the God who delivered you from the hand of Egypt, why they would find that of encouragement? I mean, he's writing it to people who, had, who were like four and five hundred years after it happened. Why would that be of encouragement? Because to them, it was just as if it happened that day. You see, they have this ability to hang on to, to hook into, to be part of their spiritual lineage, their physical lineage. So when they read that, they were going, hey, 
He just delivered us. Wow! That's the difference between dusty old history and living truth. So they're like, wow, this happened. And so to understand today's passage, you have to understand that today's passage has to deal with the saddest day on the Jewish calendar. Now it wasn't the Day of Atonement. It was a day called Tish Ba'av. Tish Ba'av. That just warmed your heart, didn't it? It's the ninth day of Av. Did that help? Av is either July, August in our calendar. And it is a sad day. And in fact, it still pulsates through the Jewish people today. It is so part of their culture that it's in their wedding ceremonies. In fact, they will not have a wedding within three weeks before Tish Ba'av. And in their wedding ceremonies, have you ever seen like a Jewish movie, you know, and, and they take, and they get to that part where they take the glass and they put it in, in, in a cloth and they smash the glass. Have you ever wondered why? Tishba'av. This is why they do it. So you're saying, Greg, what's Tishba'av? Well, I'll tell you in a moment. This day is so precious to them that on the day of Tishbaab, they do not eat. They do not drink. They do not wear makeup. They do not wear shoes, nice shoes made of leather. The reason for that is because this is the day that the first temple in 586 B.C was destroyed. It was the day that their heart, the heart of Israel, the place where God lived, was ripped from their land. They don't wear night shoes because their brothers and sisters would have to walk across the burning sands of the desert, and their shoes would wear out, and they would come into Babylon with bloody feet. So how dare we wear nice shoes? And it's all found in today's passage. It's found in chapter 1, starting in about verse 23. So if you would turn there. Next slide, please. For all flesh is like grass. Now why would he quote this? 
Well, that comes from Isaiah chapter 40, but the, the tragedy really starts in Isaiah 39. You see, there was a good king. His name was Hezekiah. He was a good king. He was a godly king, but he was a foolish king. You see, friends, we can be good, we can be godly, but it doesn't always protect us from being foolish. Because if we don't listen to God always, we can be foolish. And so some people from Babylon came in to check on him, to say, hi, we hear you've been sick. And he was so overjoyed, he went and showed him the entire kingdom. And Isaiah the prophet heard about that. And he rushed to the palace only to see Hezekiah on the front porch saying, y'all come back, you hear? And Isaiah said, they will. Only with their armies next time. He said, what have you done? They were spies. They came to, to put our land on the menu of conquest. But because you've been a good king and a godly king, God will wait till you're gone. Whew, said Hezekiah. At least I don't have to see it in my lifetime. So chapter 40 is the prophecy of the destruction of the temple. But it starts with the words comfort. You see, God is the God of comfort. And in there, he comes up with this, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of the saddest day, he gives us three lessons. Number one, life is short. Life is short. Number two, people are fragile. People are fragile. And number three, only God and his word last forever. Only God and his word last forever. Now we get into the passage we're going to look at today. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, the reason why we have to put it together is because in the original there was no chapter 2. It was all one passage. If you didn't know this, folks, the numbers, they're not inspired. Someone put them there later just to help us figure out how to get around the Bible. And so sometimes, they're, while they're wonderful, sometimes they break up the flow, and the flow flows together. So notice what happens what we just said in mind. Peter writes, remember, life is short. People are fragile. 
And then he goes into what they call a vice list in, in Scripture. Scholars call it that. We find it in the Old Testament in Proverbs when they talk about in chapter 6 the things God hates. We find it in chapter 1 of Romans when God talks about the depravity of man. A vice list. And vice lists do this. They start with what's bad and they go to what's worse. They just keep on going. And notice what the last one is. It's words. It's words. It's our words. It talks about our tongue here. Our tongue, which can be like a, a, a forest fire that destroys everything in its path. Like, like a knife that can just slice the human heart. So it starts with this. Remember, people are fragile. So put away. The term here is like a surgeon going into surgery, washing at the basin, cleansing away every contaminant, every infectious thing that the surgeon would bring into the operating room. He's saying, don't bring any infection in. Don't bring any dirt in. Don't bring any filth in. You're dealing with some fragile people. Don't bring in anything that could cause harm. I beg of you, put it all away. Throw it all off. And then he says, all malice. Now the word malice here is the word that means, is the word that means the idea of evil. It's an evil behavior with the idea or desire to hurt or injure someone. It's saying, I just, I just want to hurt somebody. It carries with it the idea of malignancy or poison. It's being a person who poisons every relationship. Let me put it to you this way. Are you a cancer in somebody's life? Are you a poison in someone's life? Do you enjoy bringing pain into someone's world? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and it's not for the purpose of correction according to the scriptural guidelines, what are you doing? Why are you being a cancer? Why are you being poisoned? Put it away. Notice the second word there is deceit. It means to bait a trap or Beta hook. It's using someone for our own benefit. Manipulation. 
Have you ever seen one of those B movies? You know, the femme fatale comes in and she just manipulates some, some poor guy, you know, and, and, and next thing you know, he discovers that he's been played the whole time. Or a con man comes in. One of the, one of the shows I enjoy watching is Unsolved Mysteries. And, you know, half the time they're, ha they're searching for some con man who comes in and he sweet talks some lady out of all her money. And then they show the picture of the guy. And dude, the guy's ugly. I'm like, how did he do it? I mean, I could understand if he was good looking, but he's ugly. But he does it. And he just cons her and he manipulates her. Next thing you know, she, she's writing him a check. She's emptying her bank account. That's the idea. Are you using people? Are you a friend with people just for what you can get out of them? There's no place for that in the body of Christ. There's no place for that in His church. Scripture says we're supposed to think of each other better than ourselves. We're supposed to look out for one another. Not use one another. Not abuse one another. Just put it away. And then the word hypocrisy. That was an actor in the old days. It's a hypocrite. It's to judge behind a mask. They would walk around on stage with these masks and talk about talk through them. And, and they put on new masks every time. But it's to judge from behind a mask. Judge. Tear apart. Rip into. You know, I was sitting down pondering this and thinking how amazing Scripture is being written so far advanced of social media. How social media, we hide behind the mask of the computer and say things we'd never say face to face and rip and tear. And I want to go on a, just a tiny tiny little path here and I want to talk to our teens and to our kids on social media some of you have been bullied some of you kids have had people tell you that you're stupid and you're ugly and you're worthless and first of all, I want to tell you that that's a lie. That's a lie. That's what a hypocrite does. And that's not true. And you need to listen to truth. And they're telling you that you don't have value and that you don't have worth. 
Well, I'm here to tell you, first of all, God says you have value and worth and loved and wanted. And you have a pastor who says that you have value and that you are loved and that you are wanted. And you have a youth pastor who will stand up and say, you're loved and you're wanted and you have value. And you have a church that stands behind you. In fact, church, will you help me out right now? Will you show these kids that they have a church that stands behind them? Would you stand up so they can see you? And no, you have a church that wants to tell you, teens, that someone's behind you. Thank you. You can be seated. So next time you go on the web and someone starts saying, hey, you have no value, you have no worth, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're whatever, you go, uh-uh, I've got a church that, that loves me. I've got a funny-looking pastor that loves me. I've got a youth pastor that loves me. But then I need to ask you to do something. If you're being bullied, you need to tell somebody. Okay? And you need to talk, start with your folks. Because they love you. And you need to tell them. Okay? You need to tell them. You can tell Pastor Braxton if you're in his youth group. You can tell our youth leaders, our youth leaders love you so much, you don't know how much our youth leaders love you. You do not know how much they pray for you and how much they care for you. If you go to the middle school, Mr. Lubin loves you so stinking much, he would move heaven and earth to help you. There are people to help you. So don't fall victim to the hypocrite. But friends, as the church of Jesus Christ, we cannot be hypocrites. We cannot be there being judgmental behind a mask. We need to speak the truth in love. And sometimes our words will hurt but we can't be a hypocrite who hides, takes pot shots. Then it says envy. Personal joy in seeing someone else suffer. How different is that? Oh, I love to see you fail. I love to see you destroyed. That's not what God wants. Romans 12.15 says, I'm supposed to come alongside you and weep when you weep and rejoice when you have joy. I rejoice when you fail. Slander. Literally means bite someone in the back. I'm going to give you a hug. I love you. Now I'm going to bite you in the back. I have a knife ready to slice. Slander with a tongue. Peter says, people are fragile. 
Life is short. So put away these things. They have no place in the church. So where do we run? Verse 2 says we run to the thing that lasts, to God and His Word. He says, like newborn infants, long for the spiritual milk, the pure spiritual milk, that it, by it you may grow into salvation. Infants in the middle of the night, have you ever heard an infant in the middle of the night cry for milk? They don't want their binky. They don't want their blankie. They don't want their daddy. They want their milk. And they won't be stopped, will you, buddy? He's sitting on the front row going, amen. <laughs> yeah. It's that cry of, I want it now. The goal is so as I take in it, I want more. And it's that good food, the right food, the pure spiritual milk to help me grow into salvation. What does that mean? Occasionally Donna and I will get invited to someone's house. and Normally they're inviting Donna, but I show up too. And uh, after the look of dismay, they let me in. Um, we'll be sitting there, and if they have young children, sooner or later, they'll pick up their daddy's shoes by the door. And you'll see these little tiny ones in daddy's big shoes trying to clomp around. I mean, it's, it's adorable. You know, the shoes that are like ten times bigger than what their little tiny feet can, and they're walking around. That's the picture here. At the moment of salvation, we are given these giant shoes of salvation. And they're way too big for us. Why? Because they're the shoes of Jesus. And He's saying you need to grow into them. Now, you know the one thing it's adorable to be clomping around when they're two or three in daddy's shoes. But if the child was 45 and still the same size, it's not so cute. It's scary. Friends, we're, we're called to grow. We're called to grow into those shoes. How do we do it? by drinking the pure milk. What is the milk? The Word of God. By, by just eating up the Word of God. And what happens when we do? We have that old commercial take place. Remember Mikey? Some of the old ones. Do you remember Mikey? Yeah, try it. You'll like it. It's an old commercial, kids. Mike, he's sitting there, he's the baby in the family, and all the kids, I'm not going to eat this cereal, you eat this cereal. I'm not going to eat this cereal, you eat this cereal. Give it to Mikey. Mikey will eat it. 
uh-uh, Mikey doesn't like anything. So they give it to Mikey, and Mikey takes one bite, and he just starts shoveling it in. Mikey likes it. That's what this last part of the verse means. Indeed, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. The idea here is that salvation, you've taken a bite of the Lord, and you've found out that He is good, and you want more, and you want more, and you want more, and you want more, and you just keep saying, uh, I want an order of the Lord, please. Hey, what do you want today? I want an order of the Lord. Yeah, I like that. Supersize me. I'll take an order of the Lord. Supersize. Yeah. I want more. Why? Because the day is going to come. Like the man who had been married almost 60 years. And the day came that he had to bury his sweet wife. And he and his family had the service. They put her in the grave. And they went home. It was almost dusk. And he was sitting on the front porch. And he jumped up and he said, I have to go to the graveside. I have to go now. Take me now. And he went to the graveside of his beloved. He had a few moments alone with the gravestone and said, I'm ready to go home. They took him home and he gathered his family together and he said, It's been a good day. It's been a very good day. We've had a marriage built on Jesus Christ. We've walked with him. Your mother and I had our good days and we had our bad days, but we had God the whole time. And we tasted the Lord and we saw that He is good. And even on a day like today, He's still good. So it's been a good day. Do I miss her? Oh, yes. And I'll see her soon. But it's been a good day. You see, friends, as we feast on the Word of God, as we get to know Him, as we get to taste Him and see that He is good, it all goes back to what we learn. Life is short, so we need to feast on the Lord. We need to know that he is good.
people are fragile, so we need to be careful on how we treat them. We need to treat them the way that He would want us to. And only He and His words last forever. So let's feed on that and see that He is good. Amen? Amen.